we doing, folks? It's Matt Whitmore of Theatre Food Radio, and I'm, of course, here with Milady Keris. <laughs> you right, Keris? Yep. Good. <laughs> cool. Okay, guys, it's episode number 27. We're knocking these podcasts out thick and fast now, which is awesome. It's good to feel like we've uh, got the time. Guys, this this time we kind of wanted to do a bit of a, a Q&A type episode. So we put it out there on our Theatre Food page and just said, you know got a burning question get in touch and we had a great response quite a few people uh, emailed us as well which is awesome Um, and we had some fantastic questions didn't we yeah some really good ones Um, we were trying to kind of gauge which ones to answer based on how many likes each question got (laughs) uh, because we kind of just figured that the more likes a question got the more people that that wanted that question to be asked so um, but nonetheless we're rather than picking and choosing we're we're pretty much just going to go through the list because most of most of them were good questions, weren't they? Yeah, no, they were really good. And I good. think everyone could learn from them. So in terms of having a theme for this episode, there's not really going to be one because there is a bit of a, a mix and match of questions. It's all good. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, Curtis, last episode you said you were going to do a little bit on sleep and stress, eh? Uh, yeah, I did. What I've been doing is a little bit of self-experimentation. So following on from... As you do. As you do. From um, I was actually reading up and watching some of the work of a guy called Seth. Roberts, who's a psychologist, and he's massive on self-experimentation. So if something isn't right for you health-wise, change something about your lifestyle, diet, um, stress levels, whatever, and see what the effect is. The thing is, that sounds like an obvious statement, doesn't it? It does, but so many people yeah. don't do it. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, like, you know, the whole trial and everything, just for many, goes out the window. They just want to be told, yeah. this is what you need to do, that's what you shouldn't do. Well, he actually talks about, I mean, how he got going with self-experimentation, and I encourage everyone to do a bit of self-experimentation. Um, but to be honest, we are going to cover a lot on sleep and stress today because a lot of questions were about yeah. adrenal health and feeling run down and having tests done that say that you're, you're fatigued and... Um, adrenally fatigued as it were so uh, but what he wanted to resolve was actually a sleep issue so he had real issues um, I think he had early morning waking and he had problems falling asleep Um, and a friend of his said to him oh I started eating um, fruit for breakfast and it really helped me sleep so he tried (laughs) it so you you think what that you know to me that would make no sense but he tried it so he ate fruit it helped me sleep at about (laughs) 10am yeah exactly so he ate fruit for breakfast and then he said he had the worst night's sleep ever which was brilliant because he said for the first time ever he changed the outcome by um, a certain behavioural you know, adaptation. Yeah. So, Albeit made it worse. It made it worse, but that was exciting. Right. Um, most people wouldn't th- think of that as a, a response, but he was excited. So he spoke to his friend and said, actually, it made me worse. And his friend said, well, actually, you need to eat six pieces of fruit. That's what I have across the day, six pieces. So then he tried eating six pieces of fruit. Again, sleep got worse. So mm-hmm. he thought, fantastic. So at least I can change my sleep habits or my sleep health here. Um, so the next thing he tried was someone mentioned um, fasting could really help. And so what he started doing was he experimented with missing breakfast completely, so intermittent fasting. And uh, he noticed he had an amazing night's sleep. And then he did a little graph. So this is what self-experimentation like is. straight away, though, literally the first day that he IF. He what? noticed a difference, yeah. Wow. So he started doing a little chart where you would um, chart his sleep and, and how well he slept and how long he slept on the days he fasted and then the days that he had oatmeal for breakfast, um, how, how deep he slept, how well he slept. Start a little diary. And this is something that I think everyone should do is keep a, a sort of sleep and, and food and mood diary and just look at how 
um, what you eat in the day or maybe who you spend time with in the day, how it affects you and how it affects your sleep and your stress levels. You know, if you work really late, you have issues falling asleep. So is there something you can change there? He goes on to list all sorts of things he did, like um, sugar water, which brought him amazing weight loss results. You have to just look him up and read it. Um, and it's just all to do with changing food reward and things like that and altering his hormones. But the reason I mention it is I personally am having a few sleep issues where um, I'm struggling to fall asleep sometimes and I'm waking in the night. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to change certain things like how much light exposure I get in the evening. So I'm trying to really reduce that as much yeah. as I can. I'm trying to do, and this is something he said really helped him, was standing more in the day. So more standing desk work. Yeah. So in the afternoons, I'm trying to do more standing desk work with a view that it might help sleep a little bit more. Yeah. Um, there's lots of studies showing that, that that does help in terms of... What about sleeping? <laughs> give it a go. <laughs> I did do that once. Then I have the bed to myself. <laughs> Dad said I fell asleep on, uh, in Greece when I was a kid. I fell asleep on a bus. And he said I was like leaning against the post that you hold on to, but I was so tired. The thing is, that the truth is, if you're tired enough, you would sleep you would anywhere. Sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when I, when I was younger, the, the, the places or the positions you would sleep in, <laughs> you just think that is not in the slightest bit comfortable. No. Yeah, it just works. That's well, like Hamish. Hamish sleeps like with his spread open, his, his head His body kind of like almost <laughs> like, rotated yeah. in the opposite yeah. direction. Head hanging out of his bed. Life of a dog. Yeah, so basically, um, I wanted to... I know some uh, one thing that I've noticed is using my laptop late at night really affects me, and also working late is really affecting yeah. me. So trying to do less we're of that... We're both a bit guilty of that, aren't Yeah, we? yeah. So trying to do less of that, trying to change how much fluid I drink in the day because um, I have to get up to go to the loo, which then I find it harder to fall back to sleep. So I'm trying to do lots of hydration early in the morning and then not so much uh, in the afternoon because I do eat a lot of fruit and vegetables, I don't think I need to be down in litres and litres of water, yeah. which again is something that people get get wrong. So I'm trying to listen to natural thirst and think, do I need water? No, I'm fine. And so, also as well, I think sometimes you you kind of get into like a, a bad habit, like drinking lots of water. No, not bad habit, but you, you kind of get it in your head, you need to drink X amount of water. And I think naturally, the more you drink, yeah, you, know, yeah. you get it in your head, you need to have X amount of water over a certain time period. And then you do end up just indulging in lots of water drinking in the evening to make up for the fact that you may have gone a few hours without drinking. Yeah, lots of people say that, that they, they, they sort of get to about six o'clock and realise they've not drunk enough water and they'll neck a pint and, and mo- that'll, go, that'll go straight through you probably and then, like I said, you are up half the night going to the loo. So. A lot of people though, like, uh, sorry if I'm going off on a tangent here, but if you do eat a good diet and you are eating lots of vegetables, salads, leafy veg, etc., there as well in those foods well do you know what the the recommendation of two liters is actually being because people are saying if you are and people forget that tea and coffee can count and not necessarily if it's if it's hydrate dehydrating you it might not count but if it's something like a herbal tea that counts yeah um if it's a protein shake that counts and that, like you said so does fruit and salad so um yeah it, the, people are saying you don't necessarily need to get down you like five or six pints of pure water if you're drinking quite a lot of other things throughout yeah. the day and, and having water-based food so um so yeah it was just to hint to people that before you um we always hear what other people are doing and we're quite interested and we think that because it works for them it'll work for us yeah but the best thing you can do is a little bit of self-experimentation and start to say and track it so on the days when you did that was the outcome worse or was it better? And if so, you might start to learn a little bit more about yourself. And, and that goes across the board, right? So yeah, we're not just yeah. talking about sleep here. We're talking about general Exercise, nutrition, yeah, training, fat loss, yeah, yeah. everything. We're big on keeping a training log and like Kerry said, just keeping a log of your food because it's the only way you will keep track of your progress or 
lack of progress where you can actually see where you may be going wrong, what does work and how you can maybe improve on that, et cetera, et cetera. So it may seem like a long-winded thing, but for me, I've kept a training log for as long as I can remember, like for absolutely years. And I'm old school, you know, I'm pen and paper. I don't do it on my phone or an iPad or anything like that. And I, and I love it. And I look back at kind of like, you know, where my progressions and regressions were, et cetera. And I kind of feel like I'm at a point now where I don't need to log my food. Because <laughs> you, your log say at the very beginning, two tins of beans... <laughs> that's what Two you, of beans. That's yeah, what you were back, curling and pressing. Back, back in the day when I first started training, <laughs> tin of eight beans with my, with, yeah. with my dumbbells. Uh, but no, I just think it's so important, like you said, you know, like rather than making it a guessing game, just write it down, you know, keep a journal with you and, yeah. and write everything down. Good point, Keris. <laughs> so I will try and update you as to anything that I find helps with the sleep side of things yeah and please um, hurry up because every time you get up disturbs me yeah because <laughs> you just huff and puff because you're so annoyed that you, your sleep has off. been disturbed <laughs> <laughs> so uh, should we get into some of these questions because yeah. on the whole stress front um, some of the questions do cover that don't they yeah righty let's get into it so question numero uno this is from paula fox what's up paula fox uh, we know paula as i say we know paula really well but we kind of do know her really well because we have met her in person she came to our seminar in Derry and she's done um, a couple of our online plans now and got awesome results so yeah, she's a very inspirational woman very inspirational woman super strong um, gives it her all with everything so uh, very Paula has said and this is a good question how would you adjust nutrition for a double session in the gym just once a week and it's an early morning strength based session on legs and a PM Metcon uh, metabolic conditioning uh, if you don't know and I think this is a good question because I think more and more people now are trying the whole two sessions a day. Um, I've dabbled with it myself a little bit and I'd probably do it a little bit more often if I had the time um, because it can work. A lot of people might see this as overtraining, but if you're smart about it with your nutrition and the training itself, there's no reason why you can't fit two training sessions in the day every now and again. If I'm not mistaken, I know full well that uh, Paula does a lot of CrossFit. Shall I go first with what I think and yeah, then you yeah, can yeah, you can on. say what you think? Um, so she said that the morning routine is a strength-based session, uh, predominantly legs by the looks of it. And like, like I said, the PM session is metabolic conditioning. So it's going to be a little bit more about kind of interval-based, circuit-based, full-body routines. Um, so the intensity of that session is going to be a lot higher. So I would say the order is is bang on the money. So in this instance, doing the strength in the morning and the Metcon in the evening is the way to go because if you've done it the other way around, I think your strength would massively suffer because um, obviously you're training two completely different energy systems here in terms of your you know strength in the morning and uh, circuits in, in the evening. If you were to try and do it the other way around, I think you'd just get mad frustrated because your strength has been inhibited and you won't be able to lift quite as much because you're just somewhat fatigued beforehand. But first things first, I say if you're training twice a day, naturally you're going to need to take on some extra calories uh, from, 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 from all macros, but I'd say that you, your carbs would need to be increased somewhat. Um, the good thing with strength training is you don't really need to take on a huge amount of carbohydrates. So I would treat that AM session just as you normally would. So take your pre-workout aminos. Um, if it's strength-based, you don't really need to take on. But if it's early, you'd probably get away with just your aminos anyway. I wouldn't worry about getting any carbs on board, etc., because it's strength-based. And then take on your usual post-workout nutrition as you normally would. And then throughout the day, I'd probably just eat as you normally would. Get some carbs in your lunch, uh, maybe some protein, fat and carb-based snack, some eggs and nuts, as well as some berries, etc. 
Um, and then again, when it comes to your to, to your PM Metcon, I would say just you know get your pre workout aminos down. You definitely don't get any caffeine down you if it's a late night session because that'll probably inhibit the quality of your sleep. And then I'd say after the that session, it's really important there that you do take on some extra carbohydrates uh, in your post workout window to ensure that you know you do recover optimally. But it's one of those things that I wouldn't overthink in the, oh, I'm training twice a day, I need to take on much, much more. I think as long as you know what your pre, intra and post-workout protocols normally are and just treat those two sessions as if they were on two different days, the only difference being is that one's an AM session, so therefore you're not going to be taking on a big meal just before. You're just going to take on probably aminos and maybe then have a pre-workout coffee with maybe some coconut oil or some MCTs in to get your fats and energy that way. Whereas the evening meal, obviously, you can get... At the, the evening session, you'll have the opportunity to get some solid food down you beforehand. So just make sure you've eaten three to two hours pre and then have your aminos 30 to 45 minutes before that to make sure, you know, that your amino acid pool is topped up for the, uh, the Metcon session. And I think so long as your, your meals throughout the day are on the money... I don't think you'll have a problem uh, from a recovery front. No, I totally agree. I don't think... I think the mistake people make is believing they need to fuel up training. And in a way, you can create a lot more stress on your digestive system by, you know, overeating because you think, well, I've got, you know, a big session coming up in the evening, perhaps feel tired. Um, I suppose the only thing... What I'd add to what Matt said is, firstly, only ever double train if you really feel like you have the energy to do that and everything else is in check. So you're... Waking energy is brilliant. Um, do things like temperature testing, maybe heart rate uh, variability testing, mm-hmm. which is loads of apps out there. You can use like iFleet um, that you could test in the morning. And if your um, heart rate variability was low, you wouldn't really um, ideally go for one session, let alone two. So if you are going to dabble with this sort of thing, I'd do HRV testing um, on a daily basis. I would also say what Matt said is you're pretty much topping up the calories or the extra calories burned by you doing your pre and post workout. So getting some coconut oil and aminos and a post workout shake around the two sessions will make sure most of your protein and, and fats are topped up. And then uh, I totally agree with Matt. I would go um, carbs in the evening because yeah. that's going to lower cortisol from the Metcon. So it will help. Um, and also look at maybe taking, you could either do it as a supplement, something like taurine um, or L-theanine, which helps to sort of lower all of those stress hormones so that you would yeah. get a good night's sleep. So um, the calming amino acids would be really helpful um, and, and get that session in earlier rather than later. So that, that, around four, five, six isn't too bad. But If you've got a choice in the matter. I yeah, mean, yeah. But later than that, and you are possibly going to start to... That's pro- Yeah, that's probably the biggest downfall to evening sessions is that, of course, you know, a, a metabolic conditioning session, which is going to be up there on the intensity front, is going to, you know, it's going to shoot your cortisol levels right up. So it's making sure that you are quite savvy with how you kind of get yourself to recover after that, like Kerry said, with the SUPS. Uh, if you've got the time, maybe having an Epsom salts bath, applying magnesium topically as well yeah. after that, just to help yourself really kind of relax and unwind and prepare yourself for sleep. And then what I would say is the over the next uh, day, so the next 48 hours, you might want to be slightly higher carbohydrate to just help replenish gin stores yeah. and just help with recovery and mood and, and, and everything else. So maybe I would suggest... Um, rest day follows the double gym uh, the double training session and that's when you might want to be a little bit higher carb yeah. um, and focus on as Matt said some Epsom salts baths and things like that and then hopefully you'll be ready in a couple of days I wouldn't put too many intense sessions near that, that double session I'd give yourself 
you know, one if not two days, would you say? To, to Yeah, well, I mean, again, it comes down to, you know, to, and... to listening to your body. You yeah. know, I'd certainly say that I, the day after that, immediately afterwards, you'd probably want it to be a more technique-based session yeah. just to kind of top up your technique and just get the, the body moving or something that just creates blood flow. So this is where you might even do a little bit of, you know, like low-intensity cardio you know a bit of like list training as they call it where you might just go for like a light cycle just to get the blood pumping around the body or even a uh, yeah a, a, <laughs> a bit of a power walk etc yeah. but because you know as Kara said you know like they're, they're, they're two completely different types of workouts so the strength-based routine is going to hit your central nervous system because no doubt there's going to be squat variations in there maybe some deadlift variations etc um, so it's going to massively uh, give you your central nervous system a hit and then in the evening, it's going to be some some glycogen depletion work. And it's important that you kind of replenish that in that post-workout window without going too heavy on the food, as Keris mentioned. You do want to be preparing yourself for sleep because that's where a lot of repair and most of repair occurs. So if you then take on a too heavy meal after that late in the evening, you know, and your body's struggling to digest food really, really late, um, that's also going to kind of affect you, the, the quality of sleep that you get. So you need to be a bit savvy with it. But as you said, Paulie, you're only doing it once a week. And with the double training, you just got to be clever, listen to your body. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it because it's in your schedule. Listen to your body based on how you feel, the quality of your sleep, etc. And you could even get away with doing it more than once a week, but just making sure that everything's on the money. Also listen to your body. So for example, in the morning, if that strength session maybe hasn't gone as well as normal and you've had to regress quite a lot, you know, that could be a sign that maybe you shouldn't go back in the evening and maybe your body's due a little bit of a rest, if that makes sense. So again, that's why it's important to keep a log, you know, to make sure that uh, you are progressing and, and not doing yourself more harm than good. So I think that answers that. Yep. Awesome. Probably answered it a bit too much. (laughs) Sorry. This is a really good question now. This is from uh, Rowena English. um, And she just said, any chance you guys could do a podcast on severe adrenal fatigue? Uh, How to supplement and train when adrenals are completely shot? That would be amazing. So this is a good question because A, it got lots of likes. So I'm assuming a lot of people were quite intrigued to this answer. And secondly, because... We know a lot of people whose adrenals are completely screwed uh, to, to keep the... Uh, I was going to say something explicit then, but obviously <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody. So, And I think actually you and I have both probably suffered from oh, yeah, uh, adrenal fatigue at some point. Ever since we launched in, <laughs> food. In, in, in our career. Um, so, Keris, I think you're probably the best person to, to answer this question now. This is a big subject. I know, I know. Okay, and I we won't. want to answer some other questions. I know, I know, I won't go off So don't go crazy. Says you, Mr Waffle. Um, <laughs> Mr Waffle, I like um, that. Matt the Waffle Whitmore. Yeah, Waffly Whitmore. Uh, what I would say is there is, there's a bit of a thing of people, um, I've seen this on Facebook, I've seen nutritionists and trainers saying, well, people stop harping on about adrenal fatigue, you know, like yeah. it, it does get over overhyped a little bit where um, if you read the list of symptoms on various different adrenal fatigue websites you could pretty much tick everyone could tick most of them i actually do think that i think i read a stat somewhere that estimated 99 percent of people that go and visit a nutritionist or um Mm -hmm. similar are are adrenally fatigued excellent carries thank you uh, (laughs) so the next question i'm checking out so anyway what what i was about to say was don't go reading these symptom lists and diagnosing yourself with adrenal fatigue fatigue, and seeing it as like 
um, you know, this 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 disease that you've been labelled with, and you know, this you don't know what to do, and then you go online and start reading. Oh, I need to do this, and I need to take that supplement, and and start self prescribing stuff. The first thing you need to do if you suspect adrenal fatigue is go and have an adrenal stress index test. Um, actually, on the PCOS plan we're running, I am suggesting every single woman does this. It's not expensive, it's about £50. If you know what stage of um, your sort of adrenal health is at, you can be so much more precise with things like carbohydrate timing mm-hmm. uh, and carbohydrate recommendations, even the supplements. So what you're testing with an adrenal stress index is basically... Um, your cortisol levels across the day. So you do four saliva samples. So it's what, what your cortisol is in the morning and then ideally it should dip throughout the day yeah. and then your melatonin stress uh, sleep hormone surges. And you can have um, one index that they at Genova offer will measure DHEA, which is like the mother hormone. So yeah. if that starts to flatline, then most of your hormones will be low. Mm-hmm. Um, and also melatonin. So you can see, and testosterone. So we can see what they're all doing. Um, as I mentioned on the um, PCOS webinar... It's not expensive, this test, is no, it? No, no. So one is 50 and I think one is 70 to have the melatonin and but the But you get extra. a lot for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Because like I said, then you can tailor everything. So, for example, if you've got something like low cortisol in the morning, um, certain supplements like licorice can help in terms of yeah. increasing... Um, your production of cortisol, but even things like exposure to daylight. Yeah. So we should be doing this anyway, but you'd be a little bit more avid about getting up and getting the curtains open, and if you can, getting outside and getting sunlight to hit the skin and getting the eyes to see daylight and feedback to the brain, and that could help in terms of uh, cortisol production because cortisol is your waking hormone. So you might also uh, want to stop going to the gym. So no, I was going to say, so as winter comes, you might want to stop dragging yourself to the gym in the dark, missing all of that daylight experience, beasting yourself in the gym. Do you see what I mean? And and so you would adapt based on what the results of the test were. Okay. So before we go into talking about tests and stuff, which is of course awesome, what would you say are kind of like the more solid signs that someone may be adrenally fatigued? Um, Do you know what I, I would say? Fatigue and fatigue is just a big one, but sort of um, just general. Yeah, fatigue. but not as in like fatigue in the sense of like the the general model with adrenal fatigue is exhaustion in the morning, exhaustion, like real like lack of get up and yeah, go. Exhaustion. It takes you a while to wake up. Yeah, come like, to even. I'm talking real sort of drag myself out of bed. I know a lot of people have this anyway. A lot of people are extremely fatigued, yeah. but uh, yeah, real exhaustion, and then everything from things like lack of motivation to, to exercise brain fog, sort of not being able to think straight, uh, memory issues, these are all signs that are Generally feeling stressful. quite low. Yeah, definitely, libido being really low yeah. um, as well. So in men, not having a morning erection, in women, just having zero libido could be um, a sign. In the afternoon, when we get that natural dip in cortisol levels around 3, um, 4 p.m., you'd feel absolutely dreadful. Like, that would hit you really hard, especially if you had low levels anyway, and they're even lower. Yeah. So, um, and then... Generally around 6 o'clock you get wired, so it's completely the opposite of what it should be. People with adrenal fatigue tend to then sort of get this second lease of life in the evening um, and then can't get to sleep, so everything like sleep hormone production gets disrupted. Uh, Lots of waking through the night is quite common because it can be things like blood sugar gets affected once we have stress hormones affected, and when our blood sugar is affected, we do tend to get waking at various times. Often people say they wake at exactly the same time every night. Um, so then I would be looking at, and sometimes people would say they experience things like palpitations and, mm-hmm. and racing heart. Then we definitely know cortisol and adrenaline is being overproduced um, or possibly blood sugar is dropping so low that you're releasing cortisol in the middle of the night to try and uh, make up for that. Mm-hmm. So 
there is like a huge list. And I would say that most people would just benefit from just looking after their adrenal health long term. So same yeah. as detoxing for me. Don't necessarily keep putting yourself on lots of detoxes throughout the year. Just always try and make sure your nutrition supports detoxification. Same for adrenals. But speaking of cortisol, a big mistake a lot of people make that may be suffering from adrenal fatigue yeah. is that obviously because of the fact that you know their adrenals are sharp, cortisol's a little bit all over the place, yeah. sleep can be affected, etc. But because of that, most people then turn to everyone's favourite. Caffeine. Caffeine. Yeah. You know, normally Definitely. in the form of coffee, tea, etc. Or, you know, some people go to obviously real big extremes and start maybe taking caffeine-based supplements such as like Pro Plus, et cetera, yeah, et cetera, yeah. in, yeah, in order Red to Bull. combat that. Yeah. And when in fact all they're doing is screwing their adrenals even, even further. Yeah, you're really worsening the situation, which is why I would emphasise most people do the test because if your issue with stress, what happens is we have different stages and they're called the stages of adaptation. So we have a stage where we might continuously tell the body um, we are in fight or flight mode so that's mm. what stress mode is called or it's also called sympathetic nervous system uh, but is, is activated yeah so we have things like blood pressures um, elevated we have our heart rates elevated we have um, increased mental focus and some people can stay in this phase pretty much for years so they're always if you think about it type a personalities people are always on the go so they're always cane in the gym they love their jobs maybe or they just just work really long hours and they are just running you hear the phrase running on adrenaline and you can literally not adrenaline necessarily it's more cortisol but you can run on that for years years yeah so you can test some people and they have really high levels of um, cortisol, but they'll have really high levels of DHEA and testosterone, which is why women uh, will be prone to things like PCOS or uh, symptoms of PCOS, which the excess hair and the acne, because their DHEA and testosterone will surge along with the um, stress hormones. Mm -hmm. So you can get stress-induced PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. This can go on for years, and then what happens is we basically, the body will run out of reserves, essentially, and you start to flatline. So... That is when people start to feel dreadful. Um, and things like um, another key thing that often clients feed back to me is memory loss and um, inability to find the right word or forgetting names and things. And I hmm. definitely have that. Like, I can't write. I can't write blogs. I can't write, not that, you know, books. Not that I'm churning books out left, right and centre, but I couldn't write book a book if I get too adrenally fatigued because I literally can't think of the words that I'm trying to um, express in a sentence. Yeah. So, uh, sausage, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And actually, I was really, <laughs> really, um, I heard Chris Crestor say the same thing. He calls it, he says, my word recall goes. So you, you're talking recall. about something and you're like, can't think of the word, can't think of the word. It's dead obvious. See, that happens to me a lot, but I don't think I'm adrenally fatigued. I think I'm just a bit <laughs> daft. <laughs> Yeah, but you, I actually, I, I've said about you, I think you have attention spread disorder, but that's another thing entirely. Because you're always on your phone or on your laptop or on your iPad or watching a YouTube video as you're trying to do something and you can't multitask. Well-known fact that men cannot multitask. Well, actually, there's studies that show multitask. No, well, that's the thing. What you're actually but, doing is spreading your attention across right. several different tasks. I'm only giving it a small percentage of my... Yeah, and then you're switching back into... That's another podcast entirely. Right, so... But back to the adrenal stuff. So those are just some of the symptoms. And as I said, you do get tested because the supplements that would help... Um, there is a great formula called um, Dynamite Adrenals by Dr. Wilson. So he's the guy who wrote the book, Adrenal Fatigue, and has a great website. Okay, so let's do it like this. Yeah. Rowena has said, essentially, what kind of things can you do 
to get on top of adrenal fatigue, right? Yeah. So number one, you've said if you if you generally get think tested. you've got it, get tested. Yeah. And you recommend Genova Diagnostics. Yeah, that's what I would use. Um, and there's two tests. I think there's comprehensive adrenal profile and just an adrenal profile. Okay. If you can go for the comprehensive one, I'd go for that. And that, that will allow, and based on those results, you know, you can get a much better idea of what direction, what, what action to yeah. take, etc. And And that's something we can help with, guys. So if you do decide to get a test and you want to kind of get in touch with us and need a bit of help and a bit of guidance, by all means, please do so. So that's numero uno. Number yeah. two, nutritionally then. you know. Okay, what? so with nutrition, what's quite important is you don't dabble with things like intermittent fasting, for example. Right. We don't want to deprive the body of nutrients, okay. um, especially when we're using them up really quickly to deliver a stress response. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing that's quite important is that you do eat breakfast and eat breakfast quite early. Within an hour of waking, if not, I normally suggest half an hour of waking. Do have protein at every single meal um, yeah. and some healthy fats to keep blood sugar nice and stable, but also don't deprive yourself of carbohydrates. Absolutely. Uh, that's the big mistake people make is thinking that they need to... You do need to balance blood sugar, um, so you remove, obviously, processed foods. Of course, get yeah. Get rid of caffeine. Caffeine will elevate cortisol and disrupt blood sugar as well. That would probably be the hardest bit for most at first, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely, because you might be Taking riding on it. Out, yeah, yeah. It might, that might be actually keeping but you alive. But ride it out, guys. Ride it out. It'll only take about three to five days, and you will feel probably pretty damn horrendous. However... <laughs> There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and if you get lots of sleep and you're eating very nutritious meals. Um, so another thing you would do is probably have breakfast at around 11.30 because it, we breakfast. want... Breakfast? Uh, sorry, <laughs> lunch. Right. So breakfast is within um, half an you're hour right. to an hour of waking. <laughs> I'm a bit adrenaline fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> give, me, give me some carbs. And then lunch would be around 11.30 because you um, ideally want all the nutrients in in the morning. So do you remember I, I said the cortisol's high in the morning, so we yep. want to feed... Uh, feed that hormonal response if we can. Then you would probably have a snack because we're getting the, a dip coming at around four-ish. Having yeah. a snack at around two to three o'clock is really good. So again, protein if possible. Uh, you could put some carbohydrates in there. I do tend to say avoid fruit in the morning. Um, you don't want anything too sweet and sugary. But something in the afternoon, if you had something like a banana, but um, coupled it with some nuts, so you're getting fats and protein in there as okay. well, that could help you. You might just need the glucose. Um, I love things like coconut oil, um, again, because it's so, it provides a, a really freely available source of energy. So I often say to people, stir coconut oil into a green tea, maybe have that with a banana is a good idea. Even just like half a sweet potato with some almond butter on top. That's so nice. essentially, it's following fitter food principles, right? Well, yeah, the general adrenal fatigue diet itself is a bit more mainstream. It's a bit more um, whole grains. So you would have yeah. low GI foods, essentially. So they might say brown rice, wholemeal bread. Uh, I would personally avoid the bread and the pasta because you are trying to have, I count them as refined foods. So where would you say to get your carbs from there? So I would go with... Um, sweet potato. Sweet potato, root vegetables, um, Again, in terms of where your body composition is, you might want to just focus on sweet potato and root vegetables uh -huh. if um, you have a little bit of excess body fat. Um, if you don't, then I would say doing things like um, potatoes and white rice. Most people are fine on, on potatoes and white yeah. rice. Just add fat. So you add fat. And just make sure you're not going too crazy as well. No, yeah, no. Generally. And you can always test your blood glucose um, around the meals. That's what I was going to ask next, actually. Yeah. So you could test the blood glucose and see if the white rice is spiking your insulin a little bit too high post-meal, and then in which case you might want to go back to root vegetables and test those out. Instead. So this is actually quite cool because there was a question about blood glucose testing. Yeah. So maybe what we'll say is, so, so far we've got... 
get yourself <laughs> tested, yeah. remove processed foods and caffeine, yeah. and try and structure your carbs accordingly. Yeah, and then um, protein and fats at every meal. Protein and fats at each meal, and then should we say we'll cut and get yourself a blood glucose monitor and we'll cover this on the next question. Well, the last little bit I was going to say was with adrenal fatigue, the other thing is have your dinner early. So do you remember we have the slightly AWOL cortisol in the evening? Yeah. So if you could have your dinner around six and you would definitely want carbohydrates in there seven. as well. They do say six. I know, I'm, I know. I'm just thinking, say someone finishes work at six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. I still suggest most people eat dinner at work. But ideally, have your dinner as early as possible. As early as, as, early possible. as possible. But the, the adrenal fatigue model is around five till six, eat yeah. your last meal. And then at around eight o'clock, be, uh, before you sort of settle in for the evening, have a protein-based snack. Mm. And what I tend to say to most people is something that's really light on digestion, so fish, um, maybe poultry rather than red meat, yeah. so like a turkey burger... Or broth would be amazing because and broth, broth yeah. is going to have loads of amino acids and, and lots of um, magnesium and things in it. So just a cup of broth at about 8 o'clock so that you don't wake up hungry in the night. Um, awesome. That's really important. So that's the model. And one thing I would have not touched on, which is actually <laughs> the utmost important thing, is stress management. Like it really, really is important. And actually, this is my biggest battle with people. They will implement the nutrition stuff they'll get the stress test they'll go and buy the supplements that i mentioned so there are some specifically designed supplements which i can talk about in a second but what they do not do basically address what's causing it in the first place which yeah. makes no sense because you're not going to get great results unless you do that but that's the thing isn't it because eating certain foods won't make you less stressed no as such like you know you couldn't just yeah i feel particularly stressed i know i'll eat a little bit of this and it'll bring my cortisol levels right down like yeah. it doesn't necessarily work like that no no not at all in fact i'm actually uh, working with a wonderful woman at the moment who i really want her to to almost blog about her story because she um started to have body composition issues and could not fix them and when she came to me she'd actually just been dieting for an olympic lifting competition yeah so um, she had started doing lots of things with calorie restriction and overtraining and then noticed that her body composition changed and it became almost impossible to uh, lose weight. She was just gaining weight constantly and she wow. had, it was eating less than ever and gaining more weight. So I suspected adrenal dysfunction, um, ran a test and we saw low levels of absolutely everything. But what it made her do was reflect on not just the fact that she'd put herself through this um, calorie restricted diet and a training model, was that for about the last 10 years, she has been, um, you know, working really hard as a teacher. She's a mum, you know, she like, and also tries to maintain this really healthy lifestyle of exercising and, um, and eating healthy. And it's yeah. a lot of work. And not to mention there'll be other things going on, like family dramas and stuff. And she really reflected on the fact that she couldn't remember the last time she sat down and done nothing. Yeah. And that's really amazing when you think of what must that have done to her body the amount of pressure, the amount of nutrients that's that's required to just for 10 years not really sit still, um, put your feet up and, and just indulge and relax. Um, well, it's and funny because we were having this conversation the other day when we were talking about how most questions we get asked are about macronutrients, yeah. which are your, you know, your proteins, your carbs and your fats. Then you've got your micronutrients, which are your vitamins and your minerals, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then I said, uh, a bit of a, a genius moment, <laughs> I said, people don't ask enough questions about their maxinutrients, to which Keris said, what's that? Which I was waiting for. I was, I was like, I'm hoping you'd ask that question. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, like, your maxinutrients are your, your stress levels, sleep, sunlight exposure. Yeah. You know, all these things that 
are so important, such a big part of the equation, yet are so often overlooked. And it's the biggest part of our online plans that we have to constantly remind people yeah, about, isn't definitely. it? Like we're like, get your ass to sleep. You know, some people in our groups, you know, we're like, make sure you get to bed by 10, switch everything off by 9. Get outside. And then you see notifications that people have like been posting at like 11 o'clock, 11.30 yeah, yeah. at night. And you're like, get to bed. And Not also, that we're up, obviously, we're asleep. For me, a big bugbear is how people put the gym over everything else and we get a lot of emails and we, I've worked one-to-one with people and on the plans they've said I didn't have time to cook so I just went with a wrap or something or I didn't have time to cook uh, I didn't have time to get outside today um, too busy going to a spin class and it's madness to me because our bodies people are designed time yeah, to train. Your, your body's designed to be outside it's designed to move and um, have that fresh air and it's really important for everything from serotonin our good mood yeah. neurotransmitters so for me the priority goes <laughs> like it's nutrition sleep sunlight exposure movement by all means but exercise in a gym um, then comes if you have the time if yeah. you're but I know you're going to disagree with me that on that one. I was going to say, I wouldn't put the sunlight exposure I would. first because I just think naturally if well, if, you're, if you're eating well and you, you are making a real good effort to get yourself to sleep, etc., you know, I wouldn't think to myself, oh, I actually feel really good this morning. I'll go to the gym. Actually, hold on. Maybe I should hold out for the sun to come up <laughs> and then go for a little walk okay. instead. But then in the, in the winter, you would have to do vitamin D supplementation and oh, probably yeah, in the summer if you're not going to get outside. But I think mentally, people could really do with cutting down on the intense gym sessions to some back down to like two a week, some better at four or five, and then focusing more on getting outdoors, doing a, an active hobby, a sport, or just walking. And not permanently, right? You know, like this is what we always say to people. If you've got like a fat loss goal or a health goal that you're trying to meet, get it out of your head that you need to just train harder, train longer, train more often. Yeah. Because initially, I mean, how many times have we told people to, to, to reduce the amount of gym sessions they do to once, maybe twice a week? And as Kerry said, focus on movement, walking, getting outside, de-stressing, and using that time that you'd normally be in the gym to prepare food, get on top of that, get on top of batch cooking, um, and get on top of just like generally creating a bit more structure in your life. And then ultimately, you'll feel better you'll start meeting your fat loss goals, health goals, etc., and then you can start implementing the training back in again. Absolutely. It's not, but it's you'll not a, perform even better. Yeah, so. and the, 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 pe- the people worry that they've got, like I said, they've found out they're adrenally fatigued and then it's like they can't do anything, you know, yeah. and, and you can. You just have this process of recovery. And someone recently asked me, how long does it take to recover? You know, in, a, in, in weeks you can feel better. In months you'll feel a lot better. Yeah. But it could take years. Yeah. And that's not not an exaggeration. It's up to you and how much you start to reassess things like, and just going back to stress. So if you're not doing stress management activities like uh, meditation, yeah. like, um, and I've just said daily fresh air, journaling, dancing, things that make you forget about work and mm-hmm. stress. And, um, you know, you've got to have uh, time out from electronic laptops and phones yeah. and anything that, you know, sort of creates anxiety and things like that. And it's... We have a list that's like three pages long of what people can do, but it's very individual at what works for you. Yeah. But if you don't prioritise that, then you will continue to reinforce adrenal fatigue, essentially. So it is really, really important that you start to not feel guilty about switching off from work, putting your feet up, and yeah. um, and do try and find... I really rate yoga because... Focusing on your... Maxi-nutrients, come on, <laughs> can't forget that one. But I, I really... I need this to go viral. And I'm just going to say, I love 
yoga because of that savasana at the end where they make you just lie down and empty your head. That's my favourite bit. Then, that's the only bit I you like ever do. Bit. I sometimes just do that just for the whole hour. Yeah. <laughs> or child's or pose. Or child's pose. Yeah, where you're just lying down. So, uh, yeah, so that's cool. where we are. And one, uh, just to qu- quickly cover um, supplements, I wouldn't supplement without understanding where you are with adrenal fatigue. Good shout. But generally we want all of the B vitamins in, so a B complex is a really good and a cheap shout, uh, a, 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 sorry, a cheap option. Actually, Solgra have one called uh, Balance, a mm-hmm. supplement formula that's a combination of rhodiola, and which is a, an adaptogenic herb which can help buffer um, buffer you in stressful times. Right. So if you've got like a stressful period, like, um, I don't know, a month at work where it's tax return or whatever, then you could just take rhodiola quite safely. Um, cool. And I think it's got really high levels of the B vitamins that get depleted through stress. But as I said, there are some great stress formulas out there. And it, again, ashwagandha is very good for calming you down. Um, ginseng is more of a lifter if you're really sort of on the floor in terms of energy. Um, I love maca, which we mentioned, I think, on the last podcast. So you could stick some maca in your um, morning protein smoothie. It would just help sort of revitalize you. Um, but there are some great adrenal formulas out there. It's just that you should get professional guidance before just yeah. self uh, before uh, prescribing any of those. But it's quite funny, isn't it? Because um, I've actually just realised I start a lot of sentences with "it's quite funny" because when in fact it's not really funny. <laughs> not really funny. But anyway, uh, habits. What can you do? I was going to say, like, so you mentioned earlier about getting tested, and this is something we're doing on our PCOS elimination plan. We were saying the other day that when we were actually writing the finalising the content for the PCOS elimination plan, we were like. Oh man, like uh, even though obviously it's specifically designed for women with PCOS, and the idea is we can do what we can to to regain control of their health and and ultimately eliminate it. Uh, hence the name. We were a bit like, wow, like why didn't we just call it like a a hormone health yeah, plan? Because yeah. even though it's targeted towards women with PCOS, the content when we look at it, it's like wow, so many people. Uh, could benefit from this and you know understanding their hormones better and getting on top of because like Kerry said you know like the, there's a, uh, a cortisol test in there and we have actually now got quite a few women on the plan that don't even have PCOS but want to understand hormones and get a better grasp of their health from that perspective right well that's, a lot of them have, have been to the doctors and had um, results that have suggested some sort of imbalance but not really been offered much guidance especially when it comes to nutrition and exercise yeah and so what i'm um, helping them to do is say you are entitled via your gp or nhs to get a series of tests done like yeah. um you could have your morning cortisol tested you could have your insulin and, and blood glucose tested and having that data can make recommendations in terms of nutrition um, and exercise really, really helpful. Because if we've got sky-high cortisol, then I don't necessarily want you in your um, hip classes or your boot camps. Yeah. But, you know, if, if cortisol is all right and something else might be going off, then we can investigate thyroid hormone, for example, which, by the way, will really start to suffer in adrenal fatigue. So that's yeah. why we'll see things like weight gain, uh, um, as well as the fact that stress hormones just create more fat around the middle. Um, the thyroid tends to then go out of basically just become affected by the the stress hormones as well. So some people are diagnosed hyperthyroid by a doctor when actually they are adrenally fatigued. So even knowing your thyroid hormone is really, really helpful. And we can see, um, you know, is is there even antibodies and autoimmune responses going on? Maybe because you've caused that by stress. So yeah, I was really excited when I... um, 
said to you actually you know it, sh it probably should have just been a hormone health <laughs> program and just ha get women to know and understand their bodies a bit better and what they could do to adjust um in their lifestyle and and, and really influence it and it's it's so powerful yeah um when you do get to grip so yeah that's and we've only even touched on it. I could do like another hour probably. To be on fair, this. like we, we should probably do like a, just a, a podcast a just for that on, at yeah. one point. Um, but let's move on to the glucose uh, monitoring, the blood uh, the blood sugar monitoring question, which is from uh, Libby Fifis. Fifis. I've probably just pronounced that completely wrong. Apologies if I have. Um, and Libby has said that she's bought herself a glucometer uh, to measure blood sugar, uh, but don't really know where to start. So we touched on that. A minute ago so Kerry do you want to explain how we would uh, get someone to uh, monitor their blood glucose around yeah. meals etc I'm just gonna have a rant though first because this is something that make it quick <laughs> really quick rant this is something that I cover on every single program I've ever run and my rant is that so many people don't do it and don't listen and it's just it's so useful but the rant is a bigger thing that I'm ranting about, and that's people's, I don't want to say inability, but people not wanting to educate themselves a bit more about nutrition. So I am still getting asked questions via email and all sorts of things about calories in, calories out. Um, I'm not losing weight because, and I'm eating fit food, but I'm still not losing weight, and I'm going to the gym. Some people just need to be, don't get me wrong, some people come off processed foods, and they exercise a few times a week and the weight falls off, and it's yeah. brilliant. But some people just have a little bit of tinkering to do, and it's quite important that you make an effort to learn about these tools, yeah. if you see what I mean. So my rant is just that don't expect somebody else to do the work for you um, and write a different meal plan or a different macronutrient plan. Um, not, you know, not that we, we love, but I want people to implement the information and practically try these things, because again... Yeah, but assuming they know about it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my rant is, is, is that once you've, once you've given people that information, they don't use it. So um, sometimes we will get feedback like, this isn't working, that's not working. And there is like hours and hours of, of webinars on digestion and how to test your blood sugar. And I say, well, how is digestion? And what were your glucose results? And it's like, mm, don't, don't know, it. haven't done it. And it can be frustrating because it's just something that you can use for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's such amazing information. So going back to the glucose monitor. So you, are you waving right. your finger at the screen now? So <laughs> all you on our plans. <laughs> do it, Listen do to it. all the webinars. <laughs> Take um, on the information. And don't get me wrong, I would say the majority of people that work with us are the other way, maybe, and too enthusiastic and want to do everything at once. Everything you know, we have to calm yeah. them down. Um, I do get frustrated with people who have fat loss goals who don't do these very simple things. Well, a lot of people just want a quick fix, don't they? Yes. A lot of people want you yeah. to go, do this, don't do that, job done. But yeah. there's more to it than that. And But our plans, are the whole, well, not the whole, but you know, a big, big chunk of it is that we, it's all about educating individuals. It's not just telling people what to eat, what not to eat, how to train and what, what training to avoid. It's, it's an educational process. So you understand your body better, your health better, and therefore you're just more knowledgeable going forward and you can just handle things. Yeah, but you know what else? If you educate yourself, you can help fr friends, you can help family. And the thing about glucose testing is you can talk loads of people through it. You know, yeah. So you could get, I got my mum and dad doing it almost straight away and they got their friends doing it straight away. And, um, and, and instantly people are starting to become more aware of the effect that sugar or glucose has mm -hmm. on their body. So I'll go through the test, uh, what, what you would do now. So you buy a glucose monitor and a big tip, the more you spend, the less hassle it is. Because if you buy a cheap glucose monitor for about £6 from any high street store or um, uh, pharmaceutical pharmacy, yeah, pharmacy, then basically you'll have to replace the strips and the pins in about 
after about three tests. So that's why there's such different prices. But even the more expensive ones aren't that bad, are they? Like 20 to 30 quid max. No, so I, what I'm saying is I'd invest in a, in a top-end yeah. one, so nearer to £30, and then you just save yourself the hassle of buying lots of strips and cool. needles. So um, what you need to do is then, when you wake up in the morning, before you've eaten anything, is basically just uh, wash your hands and then prick. There'll be a needle. You just literally... Jab it into your finger. First few times you do it, it might make you a bit nervous, but it's absolutely fine. Um, it draws blood and then you dip. It has a tiny piece of paper that you dip into the blood and it measures uh, your blood glucose. Now, there is a slight margin for error with them. So sometimes uh, we've actually got two because we just you had one and I had one. Sometimes I'll test on both um, and you can get some erroneous readings. So don't panic. Um, I ask people to do it for over a week sometimes to get a, a solid yeah. idea rather than just saying, oh, it was really high and what's gone wrong? So test over uh, several days. But you would test your fasted glucose. Um, and ideally, we want that five or below. Um, doctors will test that for you as well. Then you have your breakfast. And then the next test you would do is just before lunch. And ideally, it shouldn't be too far from fasted. So it's still between five and six before lunch. Eat your lunch. And then you want to test one hour, two hours, and three hours. Right. Now, you're going to get a surge, obviously, as the, the glucose goes into the blood. That's what the, the, the um, machine is measuring, levels of glucose. And uh, ideally, you don't want it to go any higher than eight and you want it back down to before lunch within three hours. Does that make sense? Are you with me? You, you want it back down to, to your pre, fast? No, back to pre-lunch value. Pre -lunch, so right. you're doing post-lunch now, and you want it back to your pre-lunch value within three hours. So you test one hour, two hours, three hours after. It might do something like six, it might do eight, and then it should be going back down to five, right. ideally, around there. And then it's quite good to do end of day, so after dinner, what is the um, result of an entire day of eating on your blood glucose levels? Check it's not rocketed up to 16 for some reason. Right. But as I said, do it over several days, and it's really good to test out things like fruit. So what effect does fruit have? And then if you add fats to the fruit, so strawberries, mm -hmm. um, you know, what are they like? But then if you put strawberries with a handful of nuts or cream, for example, is the effect um, completely different on your blood glucose levels? If so, you know always to have your fruit with fat. Um, same for white rice is one that no one's quite sure. Would it spike my glucose? Well, put some, stir some coconut oil into your white rice and then see what the effect is on your blood glucose. Having the fats present. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So it's a great tool, and it's one that once you master, get all your friends and family doing it. And then you can really help if you've got people that are pre-diabetic or have adult-onset diabetes. It's so useful for but them. But you don't have to do this like every single day once no, you've started. No, 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 no. Like, you it's could... just to give you an idea in the first yeah, place. Yeah, absolutely. You get, a, you get an idea. I think my dad tested his once when he was really stressed about high, something, it? and it was really high. So it was a great lesson for him. He was like, wow, you know, look at the impact that stress has on my glucose levels which it does it will mobilize um, sugar into the blood so something that i suggest everyone do and try and help others do as well cool we, next question yeah awesome okay this is another good question because again it got a lot of likes so uh people must want to know so this is from Susie tanza and um again uh susie has uh, done a couple of our plans now and done absolutely awesome um but Susie has said that she's pretty much got the fit food principles nailed but would love to lose that last bit of body fat Training's going very well, pushing personal bests most sessions. Um, do I have to sacrifice uh, progress in the gym to lose the last bit of uh, fat weight? Yeah, so Susie's worried that in order to lose body fat, does your performance have to suffer, suffer and is there a way of getting rid of that last bit of stubborn body fat without obviously hindering performance in the gym, etc. Yeah. Right? Should we do it again where I kind of say my bit and you yeah, say yeah, your okay. bit? Yeah, say, so for me, the answer is no. 
you don't have to inhibit your performance uh, in order to kind of hit your fat loss goal. But it does depend on the individual, does depend on the type of training, um, and it does depend on, you know, just how much kind of weight you've got to lose. So I'm going to look at this from the opposite end of the spectrum here in that I've always said that um, if you want to lose body fat, the, the, the biggest problem with it is, is that from, I'm talking about from a man here when I said opposite end of the spectrum, from a man's point of view, is that if a man wanted to reduce body fat substantially, breaking down body fat, using body fat as fuel, etc., is is classed as a catabolic mechanism. So therefore, if you're reducing body fat, you are going to lose a little bit of muscle. Okay, so from from a man's point of view, yes, I'll probably maybe, for me to have like a an out-and-out strength goal and to try and gain lots of muscle whilst losing body fat, I'm going to be pretty much fighting a losing battle because where there's fat loss, there's muscle loss as well. Also, you're going to have to clean eat very strictly to achieve a body composition goal that's perhaps above and beyond yeah, so, yeah, you know, like what need... your body ni- nicely sits at. Yeah, for sure. So your training will suffer. Absolutely, yeah, because there'd need to be a calorie deficit and etc., yeah. etc. Et uh, but like I said to you, it does depend on how much body fat you, you have in the first place because if you've got quite a substantial amount of body fat, there's a good chance that you could initially lose a chunk of weight, a chunk of fat, without actually inhibiting your performance and your performance actually probably go up because of the drastic changes, etc. However, if someone like myself is relatively low body fat already, the the decrease in performance would probably be a little bit more apparent, uh, so to speak. So it is possible, but it does depend. So I would probably say, try and be realistic with your goal. Try and think about just how specific you are about losing this last bit of uh, stubborn body fat, as you say. Um, and, And the biggest thing that you can do is make sure there's measures in place that even though you're reducing maybe overall calories, carbohydrates, whatever it may be, that uh, you're doing what you can to prevent muscle wastage. So things like uh, getting lots of sleep, maybe taking on amino acids in between meals and stuff like that, just keeping your amino acid pool topped up and just probably ensuring that your your workouts aren't too kind of glycogen depleting too often um, because obviously higher rep workouts will naturally break down muscle fibres a lot more than than lower rep strength-based training, etc. So it might just be a case of maybe changing your training up a little bit as well, you know, to kind of upregulate your hormones, give your body a little bit of a shock. However, I would say, Susie, as I know you've been following the principles for a while and you're saying it's the last bit of stubborn body fat that you haven't got a huge amount of body fat to lose. So from that perspective, yes, there may be a slight decline in your performance, not necessarily your overall feeling of health, well-being and energy, but from an out-and-out strength and maybe muscular performance, there might be a slight regression initially before you can start building things back up again. Yeah, I mean, I suppose... Have I made any sense there? Yeah, you have, you have. What I was going to say, I suppose one of the questions is, does she have the body fat to lose or... Does she just think she has? Yeah, yeah. We have a, you know... We mentioned orthorexia a lot. One bit of advice I was given... And you women are very hard on yourselves. Yeah, yeah. I was given this bit of advice at, um, while studying, never work in fat loss because no one's ever happy. Because huh. often we'll get results and we'll come so far, but we always just keep looking up the hill and wanting to go higher and higher and higher rather than thinking, I've made it halfway up the hill, which is a great achievement. Yeah. Still want to get to the top of the hill. You know, these images that are thrust in front of us that we, we feel we, we should look like. So I think there's an element of that to, to ask herself that question. Yeah. And actually, if she's doing well in the gym and, and um, performance is good and she's eating healthy and she feels good and she's sleeping well, is that 
possible that she settles with that nice, healthy lifestyle. Yeah. However, um, if she genuinely feels like she carries a significant amount of body fat, the other thing that a lot of studies are suggesting is that we have a body fat set point, which is something that we get stuck at. So we eat really healthily um, and we can get down to a certain weight, but we can never get below it. And it's because our hormones have got a little bit stuck and decided that maybe, um, you know, perhaps a stone heavier than we should be is a, is a healthy weight for us. It yeah. thinks that that's a nice weight to protect us from famine or whatever. Um, and there's quite a lot of studies that are looking at how we can change that body fat set point. Um, Stefan Gerne is the um, obesity researcher who does loads of work on it. Um, and she's going to love this, Susie, because some of the things you can do is things like really uh, lower food reward is something that I've mentioned a lot. Um, so you lower the food reward. So instead of going for things like bacon for um, bacon and <gasps> eggs for breakfast you might have something like boiled potatoes and, <gasps> and boiled eggs which uh, yeah basically so there isn't the same amount of enjoyment and they actually have done the, the studies were done on shakes which tasted of nothing but offered um calories to people and the studies um any studies on obese participants they gave them the shakes and said you can have as many of these shakes as possible and basically they were i think they were a mixture of carbs fat and protein quite high in carbs but they tasted of nothing right and the people on the um, on the study basically lost stones and stones and stones to the point where they begged, uh, allowed the shakes after the study had finished. But this is because but they had a lot of weight to lose, right? Yeah, but what it did was it completely reset their appetite and their hormones. So around, um, and that's where um, since then a lot of the research is looking at how the food industry has gone on to done the complete opposite of this and make food hyper palatable. So it really messes with our hormones that tell us we're full, that we've got enough body this, fat. This, this we... reminds me of your paleo or failio blog the other day and talking about how like a big error we see a lot of people make now is uh, paleo versions of everything, you yeah. know, paleo cakes, cake, paleo biscuits and, and breads, yeah. Nut butters, all those sorts of things. So, so technically, you know, within principles, but... Yeah, yeah, but it's just too rewarding and so it's still affecting hormones and might be keeping her at a higher body fat set point than she yeah. feels is healthy. So what you can do is look at, um, so for example, pick a protein that you're not that keen on. So for most people, it's fish rather than meat. So focusing on seafood, which would offer you loads of omega-3s, mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, instead of roasting all of your things like sweet potatoes and, and um, vegetables in, in loads of coconut oil in the oven, yeah. which is, it is, it is still healthy, you might want to boil and steam them so they become less palatable. Because we're not say, you're not saying um, that the food needs to be unenjoyable. No, course. no, no. You just um, you reduce it. So even oils, there's some suggestion that using flavourless oils as well. So you would get wow. coconut oil, you would use coconut butter instead, which is flavourless. Um, and you would cook with that and you would take that in between meals, which might help in terms of just basically giving you the calories, but not um, messing around with all those hormones, which almost feed back to the brain about fat and fat loss. And, and do we need to burn it? Do we need to keep it? So this is just going back to Seth Roberts. This is an amazing story. He did sugar water to lose weight. Yeah, that's crazy. So he just put sugar in water and drank it all day long to get the glucose, to get the calories. But it, it offered no taste. And so basically dropped again stones doing that yeah but he knew it wasn't healthy it was an experiment right. so then he switched to flavorless olive oil so there's a very light olive oil that you can drink that offers the calories but doesn't mess the hormones up so it's just i wouldn't do that i wouldn't do anything <laughs> that funky but Thank i do you. think the idea of doing flavorless coconut oil so coconut butter which you can buy and really easily and stuff yep and just using boiled carbs rather than um, baked carbs for example if there's foods that like nut butters that you use because they make you you know perhaps you're using them like a chocolate substitute you just drop yeah. those out and like i said and just having white fish, for example, big difference. 
well, a lot of people that we speak to, like friends of ours that are, you know, coming up to like physique competitions, and you speak to them about their pre-contest nutrition. Yeah, it's always white fish. And a lot of them like, yeah, white fish, lots of vegetables, you know, lots of, you know, you know, they don't, you know, necessarily eat things that they that they despise, but yeah. it is always it tends to be the more kind of blander, cleaner food, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. One thing I would probably add as well is just kind of like your genetic kind of like genotype as well. Some people just need to come to terms with the fact that they never will be super lean yeah. you know so talking from like a man's perspective now you know like i'm pretty leanish most of the time and i could get i probably could get a little bit bit leaner if i really really wanted to but i don't really want to because i feel good at the body fat i am at now which is somewhere between 10 to 12 percent you know i know some guys that even some of my clients who i used to train they were just super ripped yeah yeah all the time and these guys i could throw as many carbs at them as i wanted to they you know just their body would just metabolize them like in no time but you know i'd also have clients as well that they were really really strong guys but they knew they were never going to be super lean dudes because it just wasn't in their general structure and we would have to kind of probably go to some real extreme to get like a sub 10% body fat or even know any even like sub 15 in some cases yeah because we just knew that it kind of wasn't really part of their genotype their genetic makeup etc does that make sense no definitely I mean I think that when we did um so when we were doing an elimination diet we both got I would say the leanest I've ever seen either of us be but we found it miserable. Yeah. You know, we were really, really, gotcha. really strict with everything. And that was horrible. Yeah. And so for us to have those life pleasures in there, you know, like we come to a point where we think, well, I can have those foods. I'm not as lean as I was, but this is this is more enjoyable for me, yeah. more sustainable. I suppose the last thing I'd say to um, Susie is to increase things like organ meats as well. So you just make sure you're feeding metabolism with loads and loads of um, B vitamins and CoQ10 and all the things that we need for energy and fat loss would be really helpful. And possibly again just like we've been talking about getting a few basic hormone tests done so perhaps getting your thyroid done by gp um asking if they'll just run any other tests on you again you might have to just sort of um you know perhaps they won't do it on the basis of the symptoms you've mentioned to us but there might be other health issues that you could talk about and just see what they bring up they'll test things like iron and b12 and folate and perhaps if they're low it could be a digestion absorption thing so mm-hmm. even though you're eating okay. the healthy foods, you're not breaking them down. So if, if it came up that Absorbing you... Absorbing them efficiently. Yeah, so really okay. useful, and we're all entitled to have them. So <clears throat> perhaps go and go to your GP, get some blood tests done, and just make sure everything's in working order. Or, one last thing, it could even simply be a case of just changing things up a bit, you know. So even though, Susie, like, you know, we know full well that you follow Fit Food Principles most of the time, maybe kind of just look at things, look at your macro split, you know, look at where, you know, you're kind of like, your carbs, protein and fats are coming from and how long you've been doing that and the style of training. It may well be you just need to give your body a bit of a shot and do the polar opposite, you know, and give your body like a, a surge of carbohydrates, for example, and just completely do the opposite to what you're doing because it will naturally, like your body will just upregulate any, everything anyway and it might just be that small shock to the system that your body needs to kind of like, you know, upregulate your metabolism, etc. Yeah, um, I was going to say, if she's been doing a low carb, you could switch in more carbs. Maybe even low-ish, uh, medium yeah, carb. You go know. to lunch, afternoon, add those carbs in. Test glucose a little bit if you can. If you don't want to, just go on feeling and just see what mm. happens. Measure and see. You know, a lot of times people think they need to reduce carbs to lose body fat, when actually it may well be that you just need to increase them. Like, you know, and we, we could do this on a, on another podcast. You know, we could talk about, you know, like rotating carbohydrates, carb cycling, carb backloading, etc., etc. Because these are little kind of tricks that can really shock the body and, and get things moving again. But on that note, 
Guys, I hope you've got plenty out of this podcast. We couldn't get through all the questions, but we never thought we would anyway. We'll definitely do some more of these Q&A type ones and we'll use some of these questions that we've got for this one because there are some absolute crackers in there. So apologies if we didn't get around to answering your question. Um, I just want to put it out there as well. I don't know when you'll be listening to this, but at the end of the month on the Saturday and Sunday, which is the... 30th, 31st. 30th and the 31st, we are going to be at the... Of August, yeah. We are going to be at the Scottish Fitness Expo in Glasgow, which we're super excited about. We've got, we're going to have a stall there with our Fit Food book, and we'll be there to answer people's questions, etc. Um, and we're also going to be presenting on the Saturday, aren't we, between yeah. 12 and 1, which is going to be absolutely epic. Um, so, guys, yeah, if you're in that area or you fancy a road trip, definitely check out the Scottish Fitness Expo in Glasgow. Get yourself some tickets. It's going to be a cracking weekend. Um, I've seen the kind of presenters that are going to be there. I've seen the uh, the schedule and it looks absolutely awesome. And I'm generally really excited myself to kind of meet some of the people that are going. So, you know, if you if you want a little cheeky little weekend away and you, you want to meet us as well, we'd love to meet you. So on that note, toodles. And I'll see you, we will see you even in episode number 28.